Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Ivy Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Matt Harmon. And, uh, you know, today we were supposed to be joined by Dalton Del Don in our last episode of the, quote, soft launch week as we're transitioning the podcast. But unfortunately, our good pal Dalton is a little under the weather, so we had to pivot quickly. And somehow I was able to land a big fish <laughs> uh, sitting in his chair today is the Josh Norris of commercial fame and also from Underdog Fantasy. Josh, what's going on, buddy? It's a it's a busy time of year. You just got engaged. Things are good for you. Congratulations. Uh, what's going on, man? Well, things are good. Anytime when I have a rider, you know, and uh, you really hit all the items that I put on the list that I need in order to appear in a podcast. I don't know if you saw this recently in the news, Matt, but I think it came out that uh, some podcast guests request $50,000 for appearances. This is oh. a short notice, so it might be even more than that. Okay. But look, I'm... We've been long friends. I've been with you since like the the BYB days. You know, yeah. I, I I liked your early stuff, as we say with some <laughs> artists. So any anytime you you throw out the bat signal and you need me on the show, I'm here. Hey, well, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we actually literally right now, as the podcast is starting here at nine eighteen Pacific time uh, in the morning on Thursday, August fourth, we have breaking news, Josh. So um, we are going to be zeroing in on some of my quarterback projections and uh, the questions and stuff that <clears throat> that we'll have uh, based on those projections. But we're going to talk about the news first, starting with, as I said, this just happened. Mike Garofolo from the NFL reports the Steelers and Deontay Johnson have agreed on a two-year. $36.7 million extension, source says. The two sides worked last night and this morning to end his hold-in with a shorter deal than what we've seen from the others that allows him to be a free agent after the 2024 season. Josh, what a win for the good guys. Uh, those of us who know Deontay Johnson is good at football, being me and you. Yeah, my co-host Hayden Winks has always struggled with this topic. I don't know why. Uh, this is shocking, Matt. I mean, this is truly shocking. It felt like the Steelers beat for the last 365 days have said, well, the Steelers do not want to commit what wide receiver, top wide receivers now are getting to Deontay Johnson. And it's been a weird scenario for this team and how they brought in receivers. Like what we've heard in training camp so far is that Chase Claypool obviously had an awesome rookie season and was playing more in the slot. George Pickens obviously profiles as an outside wide receiver. Even Calvin Oss is making some plays as a smaller wide receiver. Um, but Deontay, no doubt, is is the best of the bunch in terms of, and you've outlined this, and you can talk about this more than I do, but like we just love wide receivers who win in isolation and create yep. separation and win down the field. And something that you've outlined for almost a decade now, <laughs> uh, people focus on drops a little bit too much. And he's like the poster child for that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, going back and watching the Steelers last season in preparation for this year, it was so brutal. I oh mean, God, it's like yeah. pulling your hair out, whatever you and I have left of that. And... <laughs> It's, it's the worst. It's the worst because what Ben would do would take a snap and shotgun, look at his primary read, and if that wasn't there, he panics. He gets rid of the football. I mean, it was he and Tom Brady with the shortest time to throw in the league, and the two couldn't have played a more different style of game. So I'm excited for Deontay. This gives me a little more hope with him, and he's in that range, as you know, who's going as like wide receiver 16 and beyond. And for some people, we might top that that you know era of the of the of the draft. Yeah, I'm obviously a big Deontay Johnson fan. Uh, he was number two in success rate versus zone coverage last year in reception perception only because Cooper Cup went nuclear, but he's also 91st percentile success rate versus man coverage player. Like the guy is, I think, a legit 
number one receiver. I think he's so good. And I agree with you. It was interesting that the Steelers beat had this idea that they were not going to commit to him. I mean, Mark Caboli from The Athletic even went as far to say, like, yeah, he'll be a Packer next year. Um, But I did think I took some kind of solace in the fact that uh, Omar Khan, the new GM, said earlier this week that, yeah, we we want Deontay. Like, we want him here. And, I mean, they got it done. I just think this makes complete sense. As much as this receiver core is transitioning and, you know, the Steelers get this kind of – reputation i think it's mostly earned that they're great at drafting wide receivers but at the same time like we don't really know what chase claypool is at this point um you know this is a very very green wide receiver room right now having the one guy that i think is proven and a legit number one threat there can only help an offense that is wholly transitioning and i'm glad you brought up the ben roethlisberger point which is some people get themselves in like a brain pretzel that i think this has been the kind of the 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 pivot point of this deontay johnson debate people get themselves in this brain pretzel that Johnson's target volume or targets the way he was targeted and used on the field, the yards per target, stuff like that. That's all Ben Roethlisberger induced. It's not like a boost to Deontay Johnson. I, I mean, he might not get 160 targets this year, but if he can get like 140 and they're a little further down the field than Ben's super limiting pop gun arm, like that's a win for Johnson. I agree with you. This is good news that the hold in is over and he's going to start practicing with these new quarterbacks and stuff like that. Let me reiterate. It was pathetic watching Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> yeah. play quarterback last season. I'm sure you watched this one when charting everyone there. And while we know who Mitch Trubisky is the last time he was a starter, spent a season in Buffalo, maybe he's a little bit different now. I don't see how the passing offense is going to be worse no. than it was last year. I actually think Matt Canada will be able to open up different segments of his playbook that Ben was like, no, I'm not doing this, you know, like more stuff under center, more motion pre-snap, flashiness that Matt Canada has been known for at every single stop other than working with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Uh, and again, I want to go back to Chase Claypool because this is kind of a, a post hype candidate, right? Again, fantastic rookie season. It's kind of fizzled out since then, but he, even going back to his time at Notre Dame, he was used on those shorter crossing patterns, get the ball in his hands, let him rumble. And we've also seen that a little bit, during his time with the Steelers in terms of short yardage inside the 10 yard line situations where they really manufacture touches with him with the ball in his hands. And then George Pickens is like one of my favorite picks right now on underdog for where he's going, because we've seen the future at times, like three weeks from now, after two or three preseason games, if he has two 50 or 60 yard contested catches, like everyone's going to be all the way in and his ADP is up 30 or 40 spots. And just trying to get ahead of that, I think can be smart too. Completely agree. I think Chase, like, like big slot Chase Claypool is good. I think that's a good thing for him. I think it's good for his future. He just really struggled last year. Again, in isolation, away from Ben Roethlisberger, that influencing factor, he just couldn't get open. Chase Claypool couldn't beat man coverage on the outside. I think that him being used in that big slot receiver role would be good for him. So I'm okay where he, where he goes right now, you know, is in like the fifties and late forties at wide receiver. I'm fine with that. And yeah, George Pickens, man, that guy can really be legit. I, I think he could be really, really good. Uh, dog. Yeah. He's, he's got that dog in him, man. So uh, <laughs> I'm very excited about the Steelers wide receivers. I think, about the Steelers wide receivers way too often. I think um, on last Sunday's podcast with with uh, Scott, I apologize for thinking about them too much. But hey, this g- <laughs> gave us a reason uh, for to talk about them here. I'm excited about this group. All right, let's move into the rest of the news here. We don't have to talk really much about Deshaun Watson. Um, the NFL is p- appealing his six-game suspension. So Josh, like... <laughs> He's going to miss more than six games. Let's just put it that way. Correct. And I am no Charles Robinson. I'm no Mike Florio. I'm just going to recite basically what those very two smart people about a situation like this have been saying. It's pretty clear that from the start, the NFL pitched that one year indefinite suspension plus maybe a fine or something, extra treatment, something like that. When that didn't happen, they also tried to settle with Deshaun Watson. It was 12 games plus a fine, so on and so forth. What stands out to me is Deshaun having zero remorse for anything, taking zero blame or accountability for anything. Even the Browns owner coming out and saying, oh, well, we've shown remorse and so on and so forth. When even the third party judge in Sue L. Robinson saying, no, I disagree with you. He hasn't. And he's categorically done many things wrong here, even in just the five cases she was presented instead of the 30 total of them. 
Um, and that's going to come back to, to hurt him in terms of playing time this season. So there's also been some jargon, some, some belief out there because we've seen it in the past with some suspended players when they get a restraining order based placed on this, where they end up playing in week one, that based on what Mike Florio is saying, that is not a factor here. They've already accepted the week one through six. And after that it's seven and beyond. And as you said, since the NFL, this is setting precedent after the 2020 CBA has the ability for Roger Goodell. And now he's passed it on over to someone else to basically now dictate how long the suspension is. And that is binding from now on. Absolutely. He's going to miss six games, more than six games this season. Yeah. Uh, Charles Robinson wrote a great piece on our site about this. And really like this kind of boils down to three things. He can Deshaun Watson can either take the year suspension and which does push like tolls his contract then to start in 2023. It does kind of, Again, that loses some of the future money, stuff like that. He can also, maybe if that 12-game suspension offer is still on the table and then uh, they kind of retroactively act like 2021 was a suspension by handing him a big fine, stuff like that, that's an option. Or he can take it to court like Elliot and Brady have in the past and probably lose there. So um, I don't know. It's it, We'll see how this ends. But yeah, I think prepare as if... <laughs> Don't look, don't draft Deshaun Watson, period, in fantasy at all right now, I think. And for the rest of these guys, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather be out on the, on any Browns business at this point. Um, let's talk about something a little still not fun, but Broncos related. And I think this is such a fun team to talk about. We're going to talk two Broncos things in the news. One, we podcasted, Andy and I did, uh, right as the Tim Patrick news was breaking. So we didn't know exactly what had happened, but he did indeed tear his ACL as we feared. Um, it's a long-term injury. He's going to miss this entire year. The Broncos have had bad ACL luck, man. You know, Cortland Sutton, um, you know, KJ Hamler. How are you treating this wide receiver room now that Tim Patrick is out for the year? And I think it's tough. I, I, I think it's tough. I, I hate to say it though. I think it's a little clearer. Um, yeah. let, let's first think about it with Patrick in there. And I was on Robert Mays' show in The Athletic. And I won't give up his source, but let's say he has a source very yeah. <laughs> up high in the Broncos organization yeah. that was basically saying Tim Patrick was going to play the big slot role. And in Nathaniel Hackett offense that comes from the tree of, let's say, utilizing Devontae Adams with the 10th most slot snaps or slot targets in the league last season, a big slot player is really important for them. And so then that would have meant in three wide receiver sets, obviously Tim Patrick in the slot and then Jerry Judy slash KJ Hamler and then Cortland Sutton on the outside. Now, I don't know who profiles as a big slot player on this team, right? Because a lot of people are now just going to hype up KJ Hamler. And I get it, man. He's exciting. We always think about the moon balls with, with Russell Wilson still throwing that better than just about anyone. But they're like totally different archetypes. As you always outline, a wide receiver is not a wide receiver is not a wide receiver. Then the counterpoint to that, Matt, is with... Cortland Sutton going as wide receiver 16, Jerry Judah going as wide receiver 22. Now, almost certainly those guys are locked into two wide receiver sets. When we talk about fantasy points, players that are out there on nearly every single snap, that is so vital. And so at least having that a bit clearer is going to help us for the next three or four or five weeks of drafting. Yeah, it, it's wide receiver cores are kind of being treated almost like backfields now at this point where when one guy goes down, like it does kind of clear up the picture a little bit. And I agree with you. It's unfortunate about Patrick, but it does make this situation a lot easier to project. And I I feel like they won't move Cortland Sutton out of that X receiver position Me either. Be, but he is the only guy now with some oomph that could be like that now, power slot guy. The only alternate could be because they've invested a lot in tight ends. You know, they, obviously they trade away Noah Fant, but they still have Alberto, who's a great athlete. They even brought in Greg Dulcich as kind of like a mid-round pick this yep. season. Maybe they do a bit more 12 personnel and have one of those tight ends as a big slot, but there's nothing natural. Like, you know this, Tim Patrick was an awesome player. Yeah. And in fact, he was the only one that this new regime had really invested in after giving him this new contract. Now, I'm not saying that should overshadow what Jerry Judy's done in his past, even though I struggle with Jerry Judy's evaluation. Me too. Um, and I think Cortland Sutton is a much easier uh, play and much easier evaluation here. But uh, I'm, I'm just bummed. Like, Tim Patrick was really going to shine here, even if the middle of the field area has always been a blind spot for Russell Wilson. It's almost like too big to fail, or it was at this point. Yeah. And I just hope that this isn't like the start of something like they are the, I don't know, 2021 Ravens version of 2022 season. Totally agree. I listened to that podcast with you and uh, Robert Mays 
because I, I had been kind of obsessed with this idea about let's get Jerry Judy out of the slot. I prefer him much more as an outside, like vertical flanker receiver. And Tim Patrick just made so much sense. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, this is actually what I talked about. Oh, uh, like was wishing for that would happen. So that was good to hear Robert, especially because yeah, there, there's a source there. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, um, we'll see what happens with the, the wide receiver cord. KJ Hamler, we got to get him like into a few practices too. He's coming back from a serious injury, but and a hip injury. It's not just yes. the knee. It's a serious hip injury as well. And look, again, we all romanticize Russell Wilson's deep ball. And it's still last year. I mean, it was there. But I do wonder how well Russ's game is going to age and evolve a little bit. I think that's fair because the let Russ cook stuff was um, was fun. But it was a lot of, hey, let me put so much pressure on my offensive line and buy so much time yeah. in. Again, the middle of the field is just a complete blind spot and it's hard to thrive in the NFL now. And that's quite different than the quick game that Aaron Rodgers was so good at under Nathaniel Hackett. And then also pinpoint throws down the field where Russ has never been a quick game guy, never been a middle of field guy. And so I, the Russell Wilson offense is always going to carry travel with him. And I don't think we should overlook that here. Yeah. There's a chance that we're, six seven weeks into the season and this is not going very well i think that's that is still on the table um we'll stay in denver here but we'll go to the backfield um i only put this on the outline because this was like the topic du jour on fantasy twitter this morning and i I hate when i'm i hate when i'm on twitter early enough to know that what that's gonna be i'm like buddy put your phone down Harmon. yeah usually us east coasters take all the bad stuff early in the morning and it like becomes a non-topic by all the time your uh you west coasters wake up you know i i know but i'm an early riser so uh sometimes i catch that crap but i i should be better about my phone discipline (laughs) (laughs) is really what this is i should get up and maybe meditate and read a book or something but uh nevertheless just scroll twitter like a loser um so den we're running backs here. Cecil Lammy uh, said that he, this was the, the report, he entered camp expecting Williams uh, to be in an 80-20 split with Melvin Gordon, but quote, after watching a week of training camp, that split could be more 70-30. Um, ben Albright says it's going to be closer to 55-45. Uh, the splits, whatever. Uh, but Lammy did, who, you know, works at Football Guys, you know, where I came up, that, that coaching tree, he plays a lot of fantasy and is really in tune. So he said, quote, attention Hashtag fantasy football GMs. After watching one week of hashtag Broncos camp, I'll say this. Williams is getting drafted too high. He is getting drafted at his ceiling. He could get there to be sure, but there's no value where he's going off the board. So, Josh, I know you and Hayden have a lot of feelings about the the Broncos and, and the split with these guys. So tell me how you were feeling before today. And if you're still feeling that way, or have you changed your opinion? I, I think it's been totally unchanged a little bit. Yeah. And. Part of the reason is because Hayden and I respected and admired how well Melvin Gordon played last season. And it's really fun to become obsessed when a player like Javante Williams enters the league because he's a highlight reel at the running back position. I mean, he forces more missed tackles basically than anyone across the league and does it in a way that it's easy to play on highlight reels, right? Now, that overshadowed that it was basically a true 50-50 split between the two in Touches and carries and targets and inside the 10, all of it, everything that we care about, it was basically a 50-50 split. The difference in the draft slots, though, are projecting what you're saying, at least a 60-40, maybe a 70-30 split between the two, because right now, Javante Williams is going as the running back 11, and Melvin Gordon is going all the way down as running back 37. There's two ways of looking at this, I think. First, I think it's okay to draft one I guess the better way of saying that is either with the idea that you might take a small loss, like Javante might drop from the running back 12 to the running back 16. But let's say something happens to Melvin Gordon or they just give the more talented back all the carries, then that's a ginormous gain, right? Then you have maybe a top seven running back the rest of the season. I don't know, though. It's like in this area of the draft with Javante Williams where, man, I can't stop taking Leonard Fournette. I can't stop taking James Conner. I know Saquon has now surpassed him. My one thing when reading, and I think it's gotten worse this year than any other, and projecting backfields is only five backs played 60 plus percent of their snaps last year for their team. And only one back played 70 plus percent. And that was Najee Harris. So anytime you read 90% or 80% or 70%, take it with a grain of salt. 
Yeah, I mean, 80-20 would have been a hell of a lot. That would have basically been like Melvin Gordon's just hanging out. Um, and right. <laughs> Melvin Gordon's not just going to be hanging out. Melvin Gordon, by the way, at some point, I, I always think about this. Somebody should write, the, not a book, but some some sort of paper about this, like the life cycle of a fantasy back. Guys like Melvin Gordon have gone through the full life cycle of being an exciting first-round pick who becomes an instant hit in fantasy to then – getting usurped by a younger, exciting guy and Austin Eckler with the chargers. And now he's like the annoying veteran that, that doesn't go away. Like he's lived that full life cycle cycle where now he's kind of in that Jamal Williams territory. And he's still good. <laughs> and he's still pretty good. Just like Jamal Williams is like coaches catnip, right? Like Melvin Gordon is that guy as well. So um, I agree. I I've not been finding myself drafting Javante Williams very often just because of the guys that go around him, but I'm open to his upside, but I'm also open to taking Melvin Gordon late because he does have, I think standalone value and a real high ceiling in in case something happens to Javante Williams. All right. Last thing. And last note here. And the only reason I'm putting this on is because it's a personal favorite of both myself uh, and uh, producer John here. And we've got, you know, Josh Norris of underdog, you know, where all the sickos are drafting, you know, a hundred, the wonderful people. The sickos out there. Hey, I say I say sickos with love. All right. Okay. Yes. Like the folks like that are drafting a hundred best ball teams, you know, 20 rounds and stuff like that. We love you guys. You keeping the lights on, okay? So it's it's sickos. I say that with love. We love you that you're not normal. But just want to highlight Kyle Phillips here, a rookie fifth round wide receiver who Terry McCormick of the Titans Insiders.com reports he, Kyle Phillips has been taking first team reps as the team slot receiver. I think this is good news for uh, the Titans offense. If Kyle Phillips, who look, I know it seems like, you know, too glib to say this, but he is in that Hunter Renfro archetype of player. I like Kyle Phillips as a guy that could be maybe a little bit more than just a pop gun slot receiver type of guy. I, I thought he was a pretty interesting prospect coming out. You know, if he emerges in year one, this is good news for a Titans team that, they don't have a lot of juice in the passing game right now um, behind Robert Woods and Traylon Burks. It's a bunch of nothings. So Phillips emerging would help, even if they're not going to be like a heavy 11 personnel team or anything like that. And for those sickos drafting 150 best ball teams that you're jealous of, Matt, um, <laughs> he is one of those players that is totally going undrafted in round 17 or round 18. And so if you want a slight edge or something that is different about your team versus everyone else, Taking a player like that makes sense. Now, I do wonder what the ceiling is for the passing game here. And it's not just with Cal Phillips that we don't truly know what he is. Robert Woods coming off a significant injury, albeit he's running with the first team, I think without uh, a knee brace and all the positive signs are there. I think it's well within the range of outcomes that he's the team's leading receiver. And then what a whirlwind offseason it's already been for Traylon Burks, who, yeah. you know, had some conditioning problems. We know Mike Vrabel loves wide receivers with conditioning problems, Matt. And, uh, but now seems like everything is going in a really positive direction. My only concern here with Traylon Burks plus Kyle Phillips is, don't they, like, at least in college, Traylon Burks, like, best stuff sometimes was in the slot. And it was a lot of the A.J. Brown drag routes over the middle of the field. And I'm not comparing Traylon Burks to A.J. Brown at all, even though it's the natural thing to do. Because one is a supreme, crazy athlete. And Traylon Burks is like an average athlete with some real holes in his makeup and and, um, his profile, I think, is the better way of saying that. But he's best with the ball in his hands and just rumbling after the catch. And I think the team knows that unless some major strides has happened. I don't think you can just line up Traylon Burks on the outside and be like, hey, man, when's your, when your matchup one-on-one in isolation will get the football to you? Um, I think there's going to have to be some growing pains there. I totally agree. I was saying, again, to producer John, before you hopped on, we were talking about Kyle Phillips because he's a UCLA fan, and we're saying, like, man, th- it does feel a little samey in the passing game right now. Uh, with Robert Woods, who's even more of – he's a flanker receiver. He's not going to be in the slot, but he's – kind of operating on those flat routes, the slant routes, that short area in, underneath of the field. You got Phillips as a, a pure slot guy. And then I agree, Burks, you know, the Traylon Burks bros hated this comparison, but I said in a best case scenario, in a really ideal world, he can be like a Juju Smith-Schuster big slot receiver. But if Phillips is on the field, that's not going to happen. I don't think you can throw Traylon Burks as a rookie out there at X receiver and just ask him to win, but they might do that. 
they might do that. And, and then I think it's going to be this roller coaster of, uh, you know, I was told Draylon Burks can't do that, whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of kind of been out on the Titans this year. And I know that might come back to bite me because I really like Mike, Mike Vrabel and I like the ecosystem generally there. And I love Derrick Henry, but it just feels like the most one of the most volatile teams in the NFL right now. Question before you move on, which rookie wide receiver are you most excited to see in actual preseason games? Um, I, I guess it would be Burks because I'm the most curious about him. But if you're talking about pure excitement, I want to see the guys I really like, like Chris Olave and Drake London. I want to see I right. want to see them actually play. Uh, but I think that we have the most to learn about, I would say, Burks and probably Garrett Wilson, too. Can I throw in one in there? Sure. I think we have the most to learn about Jalen Tolbert because Jalen Tolbert is, is a player who the opportunity is right there with the Dallas Cowboys. They have to have someone else catching passes other than CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz. And this isn't a player who has to earn starting roles. And he's also one that could have a Marquez Callaway type, you know, vault up draft boards where if he has, again, a contested catch, which that's his bread and butter, uh, 40, 50 yards down the field in like two straight preseason games. Everyone's like, oh, he's he's claimed it. And he doesn't have to be one of these, you know, post by rookie bump players. You know, he can have it from from day one. And again, I think the range of outcomes here, we could see Jalen Tolbert go up, I don't know, 24, 36 spots over the next few weeks. Or it could just bottom out. And we're like, who the heck is the other wide receiver starting next to C.D. Lamb? Yeah, he should moonwalk into a starting spot. Uh, right. and he could be, easily be a ninth-round pick. Like Marquez frickin' Callaway was a ninth-round pick by the end of the preseason last year, and that did not go so well. I think it could go better for Jalen Tolbert. Um, but anyways, Josh and I are going to go through some of the lessons I learned after uh, doing my quarterback projections earlier this summer uh, right after this break. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, we're back. And Josh, I love doing projections every offseason, I think, mostly because it helps keep you honest. It gives you guardrails and you can't get too over your skis about players, no matter how much you might like them. But within the context of their offense, it has to kind of work out. The math has to add up. And I just love that exercise in general. So I'm writing a series on the site about kind of my lessons at each position. And quarterback is the most fun, which is shout out to you. You get to be on the quarterback episode uh, because you get to really do the the trickle down. Everything uh, goes down from the quarterback. And that's it's really the whole offense. It's the whole offense. And it just defines so much of what the team is going to look like. And therefore uh, what the pass catchers get and everything like that. So these are my lessons from doing quarterback projections, starting with this first one here it's going to be impossible not to like Jalen Hurts. No matter what you think about Jalen Hurts as a player or his future or whatever, you know, Hurts had a 25.2% rushing share of the Eagles offense in 15 games last year. I've easily got him at 28 for a full season this year. Um, yeah, so he's going to be a great fantasy quarterback just on there alone. But taking Jalen Rager's targets and handing them to A.J. Brown in a projections model is massive. Brown averaged 14.6 yards per catch with a 7.6 touchdown rate over the last two years. So, Josh, how does this Eagles offense change with A.J. Brown now added? And again, like Jalen Rager, give me a break. We've got A.J. Brown coming in on that spot. Pretty big deal to me. A couple things. And I think this was really smart to say like on June 1st, but now it's been echoed so much by the time this is what, August 3rd or whatever, that it doesn't sound as unique. But I, I really believe that the Eagles from a, the top down, like ownership down, want to be a pass first team. And they opened that way last season in the first, what, seven games. Now, I think what they went two and five and then quickly pivoted and actually credit to Nick Sirianni, who was able to do that. A lot of teams can't change their offensive philosophy on the fly, but Again, having an offseason where you bring in A.J. Brown, trade a first-round pick for him, this signals that they want to be a pass-first team. And it signals that if Jalen Hurts can't do it, then they'll probably move on after this year. But that shouldn't really make us wary of not drafting Jalen Hurts at his current ADP. I really like 
the question that you asked, because actually where AJ Brown has thrived, Jalen Hurts failed last year. And I know we opened this conversation talking about Russell Wilson, but Jalen Hurts also had his soft spot and his safe space was the right portion of the field. Like he loved rolling out, targeting that right side, and then boom, delivering the pass. The middle of the field was a real blind spot. Only 23.3% of Hertz's attempts last season of zero to 20 plus yards were targeting that area of the middle of the field. Conversely, 49.2% of AJ Brown's targets were attributed to that area. So like, again, he thrives in that middle of the field, catching it, running it, and it's both short, intermediate, and deep. And so it's kind of up to Jalen Hurts. We get to have our answer here. Was it because of Jalen Rager was out there instead of AJ Brown? And is this kind of going to give Jalen Hurts all the answers? Or is it just not going to work? And where AJ Brown is being drafted right now, I think is like the wide receiver 11. Is that just going to not, not reach the limits as we hoped it could? Yeah, I'm never want to say I'm outright fading a guy like AJ Brown, who I love i mean just such a special player to me i think he has top five wide receiver talent but there's a lot of questions at, at that high draft position as you mentioned and uh i talked to eagles wide receiver Devonte smith name drop alert but talked to eagles wide receiver Devonte smith and he said this could often it could go very very similarly to how it went last year where they might be this type of team early in the season and then this type of team late in the season or vice versa and they might change within the month based on how things are going and i think that is the mark of a dangerous offense. And, and like you said, a good coach, it just might be a little troubling in fantasy, but I think one way or another, like Hertz is going to have a massive year uh, statistically, even if it doesn't bear out in like his future as the Eagles starting quarterback. Yeah. I like that a lot. And as you know, from charting Devonte Smith, uh, the separation that he created down the field did not match his production. No, um, he did so much good work. In isolation and winning versus man coverage and just never really got the opportunity either targets or, or any of that stuff. And that's a bummer because I also feel like the same thing could happen this year. And then Devontae Smith is still going as like the wide receiver 35. He plays so much bigger than like his skinny frame. He's so his movement is is really fun to watch. And you don't really get to see it on the television copy. He did some awesome stuff last season, as you have highlighted. I just hope we get to he gets to see the benefit of that a bit more often this year versus last. Yeah, I, I love the way that Brown and Smith complement each other because I Me think too. where Smith is not as great, Brown is awesome. Um, and, you know, Brown can kind of do everything. So I, I think it's very exciting. That duo is really, uh, really fun. All right, let's move on to another NFC East team. And I really want to pick your brain about the Giants um, because I go back and forth on this team. But the lesson here is Brian Dayball should keyword should be a big boost for Daniel Jones. Like my projections lean pretty heavily on the last three years of former team level data for new head coaches, offensive coordinators, stuff like that. So when you do it in that way, the giants are getting infused with a blend of the 2019 to 2021 pace and play calling data from the bills with Brian Dayball and the chiefs in Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator. So yeah, my projections kind of love the Giants offensive structure, right? Like New York checks in 10th in the NFL and plays run and sixth in pass attempts. But obviously that's a projection. You're not going to rank that way. It just shows there's a lot of upside here with this Giants offense. And I know you really like Kadarius Toney, um, you know, even Kenny Galladay, where he goes like all of these guys are going so late. Even Daniel Jones goes super late. And so who really cares when you're go when you're drafting these guys as late as they are, that there is a downside um, range of the outcomes here. <laughs> but like Daniel Jones might stink, right? Like he might get benched this year. Tyrod Taylor is the backup quarterback and Tyrod always finds his way onto the field, even if you somehow buy some weird turn of fate gets yanked off it so i don't know man I, i'm i i could see this giants offense going about 100 different directions this year yeah what could go wrong falling in love with some new york giants players uh in early august uh, <laughs> i even love saquon barkley like seriously saquon barkley has the running back one overall potential in my book um i agree as you said the it's such a different offense just from a stylistic standpoint with brian dayball versus freddie kitchens and jason garrett okay so you have that and I think a big part of that is looking at what, what Kenny Galladay failed to do last season. Obviously, he was a bad free agent signing based yeah. on the production last year. But in Detroit, 33% of his targets were deep, 33 were intermediate, and 33% were short. 
last year with the Giants, and he actually played not just with Daniel Jones. It was with Mike Glennon and some other rando they threw out there. He only had 19% of his targets that were deep, okay? And there was some regression that hit towards his contested catch, which we know is a part of his game. And so, look, if we just get 14% more of his targets down the field and he comes down with a few more of those, like his season's going to be better. I also believe the reason why this team, other than just the play callers last year, didn't throw down the field was because they knew Daniel Jones when he was out there. His rookie season, 19 fumbles to go along with 12 interceptions. His second season, 11 fumbles to go along with 10 interceptions. The dude just has blinders on in the pocket, right? So this is why you bring in Evan Neal. This is why you bring in Mark Lewinsky and John Feliciano and a few other offensive line pieces, just like they did in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Not comparing the two as players, but the investment of five to seven step drops needs an investment in the offensive line as well. And I'm in, man. I'm in on the Giants. This can be super silly to say here in a month from now, but I just think at times it's very difficult for us to wrap our head around how significant a jump can be in just a play caller standpoint and the fusion of offensive line talent. And the Giants might be might bear that fruit the most this season. Yeah, again, I've said about 100 times this offseason that these Giants players are going from the outhouse to the penthouse in terms of play calling and offensive design with Brian Dayball coming in there for Jason Garrett. I just... I'm a little concerned about obviously Daniel Jones might not be good. That's that's my one thing. But oh, these yeah. these guys are going so late. Like I said, who really cares? I didn't think I would be in on Kadarius Tony at his ADP, but he's, I mean, it's all upside based on where he's going, well, man. The the other part of this, and you know how the sausage is made with football, fantasy football content. Um, <laughs> I posted a video back on like June sixth, and being like every single negative thing was baked into Kadarius Tony's ADP. That was at wide receiver forty nine. Okay. Yeah. In that span of time, in two months, he's moved all the way up to wide receiver 39. Mm -hmm. I kind of have to keep saying it because that's like part of my 2022 portfolio now, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's getting up there now again, like wide receiver 49, all the rookie wide receivers were being taken ahead of him. And I love a lot of this rookie wide receiver group, but you're taking the mystery box over a dude in when he was healthy out there, just looked like a different player. Like I believe a top 25 wide receiver talent when it's out there. But again, at wide receiver 39 now, I know it's aggressive, but that's with Christian Kirk. That's Alan Lazard. That's DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss six games, but the next, you know, 11, he might be a top 15 wide receiver. A bunch of other names, Brandon Ayuk, who you and I both love. Like that's oh, rich. Yeah. yeah. But, but if we get 17 games of Kadarius Tony, that's going to be electric. So electric. Cause he's, he's just, he moves differently than just about anyone else at the position in the league. Yeah. And I was impressed with him as a zone beater last year. I thought he was um, pretty good at finding like open space in the underneath areas. And, you know, I said coming into the NFL that his uh, next team would be starting at square one with him as a route runner. We're not at square one anymore. I think he's taken some progression. I still have some questions about him winning against man coverage on the outside, stuff like that. But I do think there was a lot of jump there and, for me, still like consensus, I I've got him at wide receiver 41 and like consensus rankings have him at, you know, 45, 47. So I I'm still green light where he's going at this point. But yeah, I don't want it to get too much higher. Now, the other part of this, I think it was misinterpreted the Wandell Robinson selection at the time because a lot of oh, yeah. people attributed that to, well, they just don't believe in Kadarius Tony moving forward. The two are very different. Like yeah. Wandale Robinson's selection was insurance for Sterling Shepard, who obviously had a significant injury towards the end of last year. And it's so clear that Wandale's going to play that. Now we can call it the Isaiah McKenzie role uh, for, <laughs> for Brian Dayball, right? And, and be that slot player. Um, and even get some backfield touches because he did that when he was at Nebraska and not just at, what, Kentucky. Um, so, again, I, I'm glad we've moved past that. And I'm glad everyone's on board with, you know, again, the electric factory that is Kadarius Tony. Even you, Matt. I know you have trepidations. I know you have some reservations <laughs> on him. Don't I, We haven't talked about I it, do, but I know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I do. But I think he could legitimately be the best open field player in the entire NFL. Like that is that is well within his skill set. So there's a lot of good there. Let's move on to another team here. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we talked. You just mentioned Christian Kirk, who I think is kind of the key point in all of this. Trevor Lawrence hits the play calling jackpot here with Doug Peterson, who might not be some young upstart offensive mind, but basically calls plays like we want a fantasy offense to call plays. Uh, the Eagles ranked eighth in passing play percentage in 2020, 20th in 2019, seventh in 2018. Uh, they ranked sixth, first, and ninth in plays run per game during that span. So we can expect the Jaguars to play fast and lean on the passing game. 
who is the biggest winner here besides Trevor Lawrence, who was, you know, in an unserious operation last year with Urban Meyer? I mean, you could give you could give him a pass for anything that went on in that freaking clown show. So this, I think, is a blank slate for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm about to make the case for a player who was 30th in completion percentage, 32nd in yards per attempt and 25th yeah, in right. interception percentage. Uh, <laughs> again, statistically, Trevor Lawrence had an awful rookie season. But when you actually go back and watch it, I mean, his teammates let him down over and over and over again. And it was like a lack of preparation. You know this. Once DJ Chark went down, they had zero speed on that yeah. offense. They had zero explosiveness. Jamal Agnew had to be the speed, had to be the explosion on that team. You know, the Visca Chenault literally was the worst wide receiver in the NFL last season. Yeah, yeah. And it, it wasn't just that. It was alignment issues. It was drops, all that type of stuff. And what gives me a lot of, because I know a lot of people sold their stock in, in Trevor Lawrence, gives me a lot of, of promise is despite how bad the Jaguars offensive line was and how much disruption they allowed, he did really a good job of handling that disruption and avoiding sacks which is a really tough thing to do. Now he got way too aggressive at times, forced throws, almost has that Phillip Rivers in him where if he's down 17 points at the end of the third quarter, he doesn't care. He's going to try to fire it deep and throw interceptions. He doesn't care. Now, I understand that the football collective as a unit, the group think, hated the Christian Kirk contract. It was yeah. a lot of money. A lot of money. We love that. Who, gi like, who gives let, a, who gives a like, Who gives a yeah. what they paid him Like at this let, point? Let's get over it and let's now say Christian Kirk is going to line up in the slot with an aggressive passer as a vertical player to get down the field on the seam. And that is a perfect fit. And again, I think the perception of, oh, how they spent that much on Christian Kirk uh, is is overshadowing and impacting where he's going in drafts. Because again, his wide receiver 40, he was wide receiver 42 just a week ago, all in on that price. A hundred percent. I'm ahead of consensus on Christian Kirk. Love him there. And yeah, I'm, I'm willing to just, just give Trevor Lawrence a total pass for, for what he did last year. Is there anyone else in, in Jacksonville that interests you in the pass catching sense? I, I, I agree with your notes, by the way, about LaVisca Chenault. And <laughs> it's, it's telling that. That was kind of easy to see, by the yeah, way, prior yeah, to the yeah, season. Yeah, I agree. People just yeah. fell in love. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. One final note. Trevor Lawrence is actually my favorite I don't know if late round quarterback is, is the play, but if you're in super flex leagues or need that second quarterback based on your best ball build, if I get one of those top five quarterbacks, my highest exposure is, is to Trevor Lawrence. And he's still going as quarterback 19. That's after Justin Fields. That's after Tua, you know, like he also has rushing upside. I mean, his, yep. his last two years 100%. in college, he had 17 rushing touchdowns. You know, I'm in on Evan Ingram as a late round tight end because we know that uh, Doug Pearson has gotten tight ends paid in the past. But the other wide receivers, eh, mm. not so much. I, I'm very intrigued to see if Travis Etienne can pay off that third round ADP he's at right now, because I'm, I'm not expecting James Robinson to be good after an Achilles tear and how he's already basically coming back from it. But just the presence of James Robinson might take some pivotal pass pro and passing down opportunities away from Travis Etienne because J-Rob is a trusted player in there. And again, just taking... 15, 20, 30, 40% of those can greatly impact the range of outcomes that we get for Travis Etienne. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to these next two teams. We could be a little bit faster on, um, although I really want to pick your brain about this team in particular. Takeaway from projections, I don't know how to project the Patriots with Mac Jones. Like if you're leaning into the last years of play calling data with New England, you're not going to like the Patriots offense, right? Well, they're drastically different. Weren't those drastically yes. different offenses? And I think it, not to cut you off, but it shows just how Josh McDaniels can evolve his offenses. But then as we know now, we don't even know who their play caller is. It might be Matt Patricia. <laughs> yeah. It might be Joe Judge. Who the hell knows? But it's like a blank slate almost. I t totally agree. Like I, if, if you're projecting based on those last three years with the Patriots, I have them at 25th in pass attempts this year, but that might be more of like a most likely outcome. And I think there's a higher ceiling for this new England passing game. Cause I kind of like, maybe I don't love anybody as an individual player here. Like I don't love Devonte Parker. I, I don't love Kendrick Bourne or Jacoby Myers, but I like the way all of these guys kind of coalesce together as wide receivers. Uh, they have tight ends as well. You know, Ramondre Stevenson sounds like he's going to be a big factor in the passing game. I'm open to the idea that New England might be a sneaky source of fantasy value and that Mac Jones, who I think is underrated, can be kind of the point guard of, a, of an up-tempo passing game in sort of a Philip Rivers, Drew Brees type of style. 
Let me start by saying this. If you watch Mac Jones and you come away disliking Mac Jones, then you're lying to yourself because <laughs> this is a quarterback got a lot of heat during the draft process, but his timing, his placement is so perfect. Like already for such a young player, he's not going to wow you with his wheels, even though he is a little bit mobile. Um, and his arm is certainly not up there with the cannons that we see in Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and so on and so forth. But he just plays with some savviness and he knows where the ball has to go and, and he gets there. To your point, I think it was actually pretty easy to predict what the Patriots offense wanted to be last year because of bringing in the extra tight end and Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, investing even more in the offensive line that they wanted to be bully ball. And that's why I was all the way in on Damian Harris and it paid off with the second most rushing touchdowns. As you probably know, I'm all the way in on Ramondre Stevenson this year. Not saying Damien is just going to wither away into nothingness, but it is, you know, his final year of his contract. They haven't shown a lot of interest in re-signing him. And man, Ramondre was just wild. There were yeah, three so players good. with big plays of 15% of their touches last year. It was Nick Chubb, it was Rashad Penny, and it was Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, the dude's just electric. Um, and he doesn't have to get, like, in the first five games of last year, he had two touches and and one fumble. And that was it, you know? Um, he doesn't have to get over that hurdle of being a rookie in the system. And just one final point. If we're looking at who to target in that pass-catching group, I know he's 29 years old. I know he has just one 1,000-yard season under his belt. But where Devontae Parker is going right now, like, I think this team has been craving an ex-wide receiver. And for all the issues that they've had in the past and how they had to target, you know, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne. And, and they're nice players, but I really think if we get 17 games, which is basically never happened for Defonte Parker, but at wide receiver 59, I think all the downside is already baked into where he is going. Yeah. I'm totally okay. Taking any of these Patriots pass catchers late. I do have a concern that Parker might be, and it's not a concern, I should say it's I might be wrong about being too low on Parker just because there's a chance that he's the guy that never leaves the field because he's that X receiver. There's a very good chance that that happens. And then I think we need to find out who's the flanker in two wide receiver sets. Is it Jacoby Myers or is it Kendrick Bourne? I would say it's probably going to be Jacoby Myers just because he's earned so much trust there. And I think he's the best player potentially of these three. But yeah, I agree with you. Parker goes goes too late. I, I think he's going to have a huge role in this offense. He's basically going to be what they wanted Nikhil Harry to be, which <laughs> was never going to happen anyway. So, all right, these next two, maybe we can bunch together because uh, <laughs> they're two quarterbacks that nobody likes, but I think are in pretty good situations right now. Takeaway, uh, first one here, Kirk Cousins, I think might be undervalued and could throw for like 5,000 yards. Andy said that on the last podcast, and I think there's a pretty decent chance that that happens. Minnesota ranked an average of 24th in passing play percentage over the last three years. That is going to get bumped up. I've got them 15th in the NFL this year. Next guy here, and again, I'll give you a choice which one of these two you want to really dive in on here. Carson Wentz is going to have to be really bad to mess this up in Washington, which is Carson Wentz. It's possible. Washington ranks 17th and 9th in plays run the last two years, and Carolina in 2019, with our boy Scott Turner uh, calling the plays for most of the year, was 6th. Those teams have averaged a rushing play rate of just 39, and the slowest and run-heaviest team was last year, when you can chalk most of that up to they were playing with Taylor Heineke, all right? So that, 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 ain't, that ain't a real thing. ODU's finest, Taylor Heineke, I should say. Anyways, which one of these two situations uh, intrigues you more? Yeah, I'll just talk a little bit more about Washington. This will be the shortest conversation I have this entire podcast. Terry McLaurin gets put into really difficult situations where other wide receivers would fail and he keeps thriving. You know, like he led the NFL last season in contested targets and it wasn't because of the separation that he created. Yeah, not his not, fault. Not his fault. <laughs> not his fault at all. And literally when we have a whole video on this on, on our channel, Underdog Fantasy, but you see him create literally seven yards of separation and then Taylor Heineke trying to throw in an open space. It has too much loft or he's literally throwing it to the shoulder that the defensive back is covering. Like he eliminated so many points and production from Terry McLaurin's game that it was ridiculous to see. Um, now, Carson Wentz also throws and has like poor placement on his passes. But I think at least from an outside the numbers and down the field perspective, Carson Wentz is an improvement off of Taylor Heineke, whose number one thing was his mobility to get out of like bad situations. Uh, the point I want to bring up is Scott Turner, man. 
I think Scott Turner is one of the more underrated play callers in the league. Yep. And it's because of the pace he plays with. It's because of the multiple sets he plays with. He changes his offense based on who he has healthy. And I think the offensive line is full of no names. Like Charles Leno was a great signing heading into last year there. It's amazing that they were able to get him arguable that like they may have gotten even worse at some of those spots. Like they have Panthers legends and Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner at both guard spots right now. But yet the offensive line coaching put them in like the top 10 or top 15 last year in success. So I'm a little bit nervous that like that regresses a little bit back to just the individual talents. But again, as a collective, it was uh it was very, very good, but I'm in on Terry. Oh, Can't yeah. really say much about the rest. Yeah. hundred percent love Terry McLaurin. I'm drafting him. This is just, if you wanted the, if you've ever struggled with the idea that wide receivers can get thrown into contested situations, just oh pop gosh. on the Terry McLaurin game. This uh, stat, it really encapsulates it. Terry McLaurin was fifth in reception perception success rate versus man coverage, but was second in percentage of contested targets in my charting. Like that just, that's Terry McLaurin in a nutshell last year with again, ODU's finest Taylor Heineke. Josh, last question on Washington. Do you have a candle lit for, for our guy, Curtis Samuel at all? I mean, do you, I do. Yeah, I yeah. do. But Ron Rivera doesn't. He's, he's smashed them all away. All the candles. They're gone from his office. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can never quit Curtis Samuel, man. Like he, he goes out there and practices for three days, makes some plays and then doesn't practice for five straight days. Uh, it certainly sounds like Jahan Dotson is going to be out there and like every single. And he also, as you know, going back to his Penn State days, had to adjust to every single throw that was away from his body and make really difficult catches, too. So he has some experience with this. I always just perceive Jahan Dotson as more of like a uh, he thrived in the middle of the field and like in trash situations, I thought, and, and in difficult grabs. So I think he's a different player than Curtis Samuel, who I think has been misevaluated his entire career. Same. But we got to see it. We got to see yeah. it, Curtis Samuel. I just want you to be on the field and thrive because I know you can. I know. And like, I like Scott Turner too. So having a speed flanker in Curtis Samuel, a true number one, I think an elite level talent, Terry McLaurin is your X receiver. And then Jahan Dotson is that Doug Baldwin slot type. This offense could be fun. Like I said, Carson Wentz is going to have to be really bad to mess this up and we'll see if that happens last quarterback thing here before we talk about <laughs> the Falcons pace is a problem for Aaron Rodgers. I think this year, despite the fact that the biggest problem is they don't have the best receiver in football anymore. The Packers have ranked 18th, 24th and 19th in plays run over the last three seasons under Matt LaFleur. Um, they've also ranked 14th and 11th in run play percentage of last two seasons. Obviously some of that is boosted by the fact that they were good. They were winning. You run the ball more when you win, but they're going to win a lot of games this year. Their defense might be even better. And the best two players on the offense outside of Aaron Rodgers are Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So when you and the best ball sickos are drafting, you know, 30 rounds of, of players or whatever, Josh, <laughs> 18. are there any uh, are there any Packers guys that you love to take late or are you just kind of out on this passing game? Well, it sounds like Romeo Dobbs is and it is Dobbs now. We have confirmed that is yeah. um, making a play every single day. I think, and I don't know what you thought of Christian Watson coming out of school. I think it's very realistic. He struggles during his rookie season because yeah, I, no I thought he won as, as a total athlete in college. And there like, wasn't much beyond that. Um, where I have the biggest question with the Packers is this, because touchdowns are really important for fantasy football. I'm, I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, Devontae Adams dominated for the Packers last year in red zone and inside the 10 yard line targets. He had 27 targets inside of the 20 that was third most in the league and had 14 inside the 10 yard line tied for second most in the league next closest inside the 10 randall cobb at 11 robert tunyon has made his home there in a couple seasons ago but you know how much of a difference maker is in those short spaces when things get really tight Devonte adams creating separation in isolation on his own or even those like quick screens near the line of scrimmage that like he had a mind meld with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how they're going to be able to replace that. Is it as simple as the on off splits that Aaron Jones had when Devonte Adams was out of ball games, tiny sample, really good, but this is just not the type where you can do the exact same thing. So I truly have no idea what to do with this offense. And I think that's why Aaron Rodgers, two straight MVPs is still going as the quarterback 14. Yeah, this is just a tough offense, and it's just mm, no. I, I don't know. I see a lot of this. Uh, this is a bunch of guys that are going to have like 500, 850 yards, and no one's really going to smash. But that's kind of where I'm at right now. Although this this Romeo Dobbs thing is 
is interesting. Intriguing. Stay, stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. On, on the radar. Yeah, on the radar for sure. All right. We're running a little long here, but we can talk about the Falcons here before we get out of here, because who doesn't love talking about the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> in the great NFC South? I'll start with this, Josh. I was like not that impressed with Arthur Smith as a play caller. No, dude. And like, I loved the Tennessee offenses. Those were really fun. And I'm not saying this because Arthur Smith seems to have an ax to grind with football Twitter. I don't know what his burner is, but he's definitely online somewhere because he's he's got an axe to grind for sure. I don't care about that. He can he can wreck uh, football Twitter members all all he wants. That doesn't bother me at all. But the one concern I have is, you know, it's great that Kyle Pitts can line up as an X receiver on the outside. But, buddy, you ain't got to do that uh, because you could not have him, you know, be in the most difficult receiver position possible when you don't have any other good receivers and he's easier to take away. He's easier to double in that role. So there's a lot of potential versatility here in this Falcons offense. Drake London can play big slot. You know, Kyle Pitts, like I said, can do all kinds of different things. Cordero Patterson can line up at any anywhere, but I have a tough time projecting what these roles are going to look like for this team. Yes. All of that. Uh, first with Arthur Smith, he's become, by the way, the biggest Scrooge of the NFL in these press conferences. And I, you know me, I'm a, I'm a lunatic. I go back and watch all these post-draft pressers and he, the way he just thinks you're trying to get some inside information on every single question. Like, dude, just give it a break. Answer, answer these, you know, he's making fun of reports. Get out of here. Okay. The other part of this though, is he really let down where he was supposed to be great at. And in his time with Tennessee as a play caller, Arthur Smith was top three and top one overall in red zone touchdown rate. Last year, Falcons were 24th, okay? Part of that is the offensive line. Nothing could operate, you know? Like, Cordero Patterson was their only explosive play, and, and that was about it. And Matt Ryan under pressure, uh, it gets worse and worse as we go along. I'm not going to say I'm optimistic, but the point that you outlined where, hey, let's not try to force Kyle Pitts against corners and just have tells over and over again. Let's see him. And for you, Arthur Smith to create more snaps in a matchup against a safety or a matchup against the linebacker. a la like what Cooper cup got to see last season. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for a guy who's going in the third round who we, even if he only gets like 750 yards this year, which he's not going to, we're still never going to get, get a discount for Kyle Pitts ever in fantasy football for the rest of our lives. Make things more easier. Now, I think that's possible when you have someone, like you said with Drake London, who I absolutely love, and I'm drafting so much Drake London of where he's going as wide receiver 37 because I think people view him as just a contested catch guy, just a big body, when, as you said, he lined up in the slot. He wins early in routes. He had a lot of screens at USC too, and then wins down the field. These can be interchangeable. This can also be kind of like what the Baltimore Ravens do where put both on the front side, have high-low reads with them as well, and the interchangeableness of all of it, it it's on obviously the quarterback and Marcus Mariota, but on Arthur Smith too, to make this a bit more easier for everyone involved. I saw uh, our buddy, Charles McDonald of underdog. Uh, I was just on his podcast as well. The exempt list. A lot of, a lot of connective tissue here, Josh, but uh, he, he pointed out when, you know, some of these like Drake London, great contested catches in, in uh, training camp, when you see him get separated, you see him win the route. And then he still has to make some crazy catch. I think Charles said, like, I probably don't want to know who threw that ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, the quarterback situation, not great uh, there, of course, but I do think there's a chance that Drake London is the key to kind of unlocking Kyle Pitts in a weird way. And I just, I think you got to take Kyle Pitts where he's going because that's ceiling, that ceiling can be there. Like at some point we're going to get a legitimate wide receiver season out of Kyle Pitts, I think. And I it could be as soon as this year. And you probably, like you said, the discounts never happening. So you might as well jump in now, I think. And I know you do the same thing because we watch so much football. It is so fun to see a player who breaks the mold or yes. just looks different than any other player at his position. And that's Kyle Pitts, you know, and I actually kind of like where he's going. Like he's right after Josh Allen right now. He's right after those top 15 wide receivers. And maybe it'll be 16 in a moment with DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton based on this Tim Patrick injury. And it's right around James Conner. And then the drop off to me of James Conner to like Travis Etienne or Ezekiel Elliott. So like, that's a sweet spot of like, uh, I can ask questions about all these running backs, 
all these wide receivers and Marquise Brown and Jalen Waddle after this. So why not just take the guy who can finish as the number one tight end here in, in the end of round three? I can also sit the opposite direction because Marcus Mariota has so much talent going back and watching him because like when he just lets loose, man, he goes. Yeah. Like he, he just, he, he, he has so much speed. He outruns defenses. And like when he plays out of structure and like has some savvy and moxiness to him, that chargers big game things can happen that Thursday yeah, night chargers but, game. But then he's just, he's just a robot other mm -hmm. times, you know, and he gets scared and he doesn't want to use all these tools that he has. And I don't know if that's ever going to change with him. I know you're right though. He's just so boxed up. At least he was with the, he just plays tight, you know, during the end of the Titans run there. Yeah, I'd love to see him get get let loose. Um, maybe this like second career act is the chance where that happens. And we saw a little preview of it with the Raiders. Last question here: you we talked about guys that break the mold. Cordero Patterson certainly oh, is yeah. that player. Talk about life cycle of an NFL career, like we did with Melvin Gordon up at the top, to go from absolute train wreck of a first round pick to the best kick returner in, at wide receiver, by the way, to the best kick returner probably in NFL history to like all kinds of roles as the backfield leader last year. What are you doing with Patterson this year? I have no idea what to do with Patterson this year. And are you interested in any of the guys behind him, like Tyler Algier, uh, Damian Williams, any of these other guys? You were just five years ahead on Cordero Patterson, Matt, from the backyard banner days. I know. Stop. Don't, five years don't, early. Don't bring up the, the archives. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the first player other than A-Rob, maybe even pre-A-Rob, that, that was like the stamp of approval. But it, was the, here, it, was the, it was the unofficial, so for those the un, uninitiated, in 2013 is when I, the first like kind of little sampling. Nine years ago. It's like, a, it feels like a hundred years ago. Um, it's like a hundred pounds ago, by the way. Anyways, shout out to me. I think that when you look at those early articles, uh, 2013 season, you got to put a lot of context behind those numbers because like now those numbers, you look back at like, oh yeah, those are like fifth percentile. So maybe right, even worse. Right. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, you, you, I do. I always appreciated Cordero Patterson. I'm very happy that he found this role with the Falcons. And for finding such a role, I'm trying to pull it up here. Um, he did such an amazing job of being the only explosive element on that team. And it's like we don't even care anymore heading yeah. into drafts this year. You know, like there were games when he had 18, 10, 29, 11, 12, 13, 13, then three, then 25, then nine, then 11 fantasy points. That was all within the first 13 games of the season. And then the final four when he had an injury and basically didn't play and all this type of stuff, it's like we're only focusing on those because right now he's going as running back 38. Guess who that's just in front of? Rookies Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White, and then pure running back insurance in Alexander Madison. Yeah. It's like, again, no one even cares that CPAT was amazing out of the backfield, a really explosive player when getting him to the edge. By the way, Derrick Henry does his best work when getting to the edge and getting up the field in Arthur Smith offense. Um, and then we also get my might get like pure wide receiver snaps from Cordero Patterson too. And receptions are pretty cool for, for running back. So very cool where he's going. I know he's like 31 or whatever age he is. I like CPAT, man. I like okay. him at running back 38. I think if he was 25 years old, we might have to be taking him in like round four and we're getting Seriously. a very deep discount beyond that. Yeah. I, I, find myself really uh, interested in taking him as well because it just feels like free points basically where he is going even if we have no idea how they're going to come I don't think he's going to be used at least I hope not as a base back like he kind of was towards the end of last season but that remains to be seen then who that other guy is going to be so Falcons offense very interesting to try to do all these weird projections with but all right that's going to do it for us Josh tell the people about your awesome show you guys stream all the you're a youtuber now you know uh tell tell the kids all about where they can find you on the social media platforms uh it might be shocking but i actually talk even more on my show than i did on this one which is maybe impossible but thank you matt well it's good i'm trying to talk me... less i'm trying to talk <laughs> I, I have to I, learn as the host as the host now i have to talk less when when you come on my show next week uh i will try to achieve the same thing it's like i i talk to myself in the mirror I'm like Say less this time, Josh. And it never works out because there's a lot to say right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Underdog Fantasy Channel on YouTube. Do a show with Hayden Winks. Uh, he's a nerd. He does projections like you. He's in his spreadsheets and all this stuff. Really, the, the basis of our show is so often it's like film versus stats in a lot of fantasy land. And we try to combine the two. 
and try to find the, the correct answer in between. So go just on YouTube and search for the underdog football show or underdog fantasy and, uh, and you'll find us there. It's a good show. Would recommend it. Uh, of course, also make sure you follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Norris. You can follow me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. I'll be back on Monday morning. We start next week, folks. Five shows every week. It's going to be a hell of a time, hell of a ride. I'm very excited about it. It starts on Monday morning with the great Scott Pianowski to do a preview of an actually good and fun team. Finally, the first week uh, we talked here about the damn Panthers. Oh, boy, the Panthers, Josh. The Seahawks Ooh. and the Falcons. That's how we started this thing off. Well, finally, we can talk about a fun team, the Baltimore Ravens. So look forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. Until then, we're out.